We're so glad to see you this morning and so glad that you're with us. Today's text will be a number of scriptures, selected scriptures. Today's title is Vertical Focus, and of course, it will be a communion service. We will be celebrating communion together. Before we move into celebrating communion, I just want to talk to us for a few moments about a topic that's not too often mentioned, but is extremely important. And Steve, it's always amazing when you pray. It's like you saw my notes before you prayed, because the very last thing you prayed is what we're going to be talking about today. All we have to do is keep our eyes on him. And then we'll talk about how that relates to communion. So today's main point is this. Believers are to live with a vertical focus. Okay, what actually does that mean? Good question. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. We don't look. We do not look at the troubles that we can see. Earthly things. That's a horizontal focus. Rather, we fix our gaze. We do look on things that cannot be seen. Heavenly things. Spiritual things. That's a vertical focus. There's a trap. Satan is a master deceiver. He baits us, and we fall into a trap. And there's a trap that we must avoid, and the trap is becoming horizontally focused rather than vertically focused. From personal experience, I can tell you that's a trap that's very easy, easy to fall into. Looking at the world around us. Looking at the things and the loves of this world. Looking at life circumstances. Looking at our troubles. Looking at our trials. And this one, looking at all the what ifs. Do you ever do that? Spend time in the land of what if? What ifs are a huge problem. And my guess is if if you... If you look at the what-ifs, they're very rarely, if ever, positive things. You don't usually sit and go through what-ifs in a positive light. Well, wow, what what if this happens? No, it's always, well, what if, and and, well, what if he says that? What if they do, what if this comes? The what-ifs are almost always negative, and we fall into the trap of focusing on the what-ifs. And there's a verse that says, think on things that are true. The what-ifs are not true. They may become true. Honestly, they may, but when they're what-ifs, they're not true. We're not supposed to be thinking about them. We're not supposed to be focusing on the what-ifs. What might happen, what could happen. We deal with what has happened or what is happening. And when we live in that that area, the what is, we always have grace from God to deal with it. Have you ever found that out? All the things you're worried about, even if it did happen, you had grace to face it. 
We run all the negative scenarios over and over in our minds. Maybe you don't. Man, if you don't, praise the Lord. I do. Unfortunately, I lived this sermon this week. So many things happened that just kept vying for my attention and trying to take me out of a vertical focus and into a horizontal focus. So many things that wanted me to focus on them. And they do need attention at times, but when we get out of a vertical focus, that's not a good thing. This can be a very real trap for those in ministry. We have a tendency to get focused more on the ministry than the master. We get a tendency, we have a tendency to get caught up in the details and the circumstances of the ministry and the ministry situations and lose our vertical focus on the master. And that leads, at best, to ineffective ministry because it's coming out of the flesh. At worst, it leads to all sorts of trouble because we're making flesh decisions. Now, listen to me. I'm going to move on. We're going to get into communion. But this is one of the most important parts of what we want to say today, what God wants to say to us. A horizontal focus steals your joy. There should be a huge chorus of amens on that. A horizontal focus steals your joy. A horizontal focus fosters stress, fosters worry, discouragement, anxiety, and on and on. Have you ever noticed when you're focusing on the Lord, you usually are not experiencing any of those things. When you're focusing on your circumstances, you may be experiencing all of those things. And the more you stay horizontally focused, the further you, you move away from a vertical focus, and then the harder it is to get back because now your mind, your thinking is so consumed on what's going on around you. You almost can't think of anything else. It takes a Herculean effort to break that hold and get back focused on the Lord. My right art. Life in a horizontal focus is an emotional roller coaster. Up when things are good, down when things are not. Here's something that might help us keep steady as she goes. Things are never as bad as they appear. And things are never as good as they seem. So don't get way up here when it's good and way down there when it's bad. Steady as she goes. Because you know when you're up, there's going to be something that wants to bring you down. But if you're mature, you know that when you're down, there's something that will bring you up. And here's another trap in, within the trap. And I know I have fallen into it. Have you noticed again in your life, we don't praise or worship much when we're horizontally focused. Praise and worship flows out of a vertical focus. Scripture strongly cautions believers against living with a horizontal focus. Instead, believers are to live with a vertical focus. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. That's a vertical focus. 
Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Vertical focus, focused on Jesus and the things in the heavenly realm. Spiritual truths, spiritual realities, not on the things of earth. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Vertical focus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Steve's closing words in his prayer. All we have to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. So simple, but so true. Not so easy. And this concept is throughout all of Scripture. I picked three from the New Testament. We're going to read three from the Old Testament quickly, and then we'll move into communion. But it's a concept that's found throughout the Bible. The three from the Old Testament. Psalm 25, 15. My eyes are always on the Lord, and he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Psalm 27, 4, King David writing, One thing I ask from the Lord, there's only one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze, to fix your sight, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. Vertical focus, time spent with the Lord, focused on him, gazing upon him. Gazing upon the beauty of his holiness, the beauty of his majesty, the beauty of his glory, the beauty of his splendor. If this isn't a part of your regular life, you're greatly missing out. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched land, life on earth daily life. And I have seen you in your sanctuary, and I have gazed upon your power and your glory. I have focused on you. The key is to take it out of the sanctuary and into daily life. It's easier to continue to gaze. It's easier to gaze on him when we're here together and we're focusing on him. When you get out into daily life, there's a tendency to drift from that and forget that. Oh, God, would you send us grace? Would you grant us grace to stay in that vertical focus? And you say, yeah, but then aren't you too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good? Absolutely not. Jesus was 100% of the time vertically focused. And he lived the most effective life of any human being ever. True ministry, true life, praise and worship all flows out of a vertical focus. I've heard people say, I can't really spend time with the Lord in the morning or whatever because I got too much to do. But the true testimony is, when I take time and spend with him, I get more done in my day than I've ever done, gotten done. He just makes it that way somehow. He supersedes time and space. If we live according to his word, if we live with a vertical focus, So one more time, vertical, heavenward focus, heavenly desire versus horizontal, earthly focus and desire. Believers are to live in a vertical focus. So how do we tie this into communion? Well, what better opportunity is there than communion to take intentional time and laser focus on the Lord, on Jesus Christ the Lord? Without further ado... Let's get into celebrating communion together. 
and we'll go through some scriptures. Communion is all about Jesus. It's remembering his life, his ministry. It's especially remembering his death and his resurrection for us on our behalf, which you also mentioned in your prayer, Steve, at the beginning. So in a sense, communion gives us an opportunity to gaze upon the Lord Jesus, upon his beauty. The celebration we call communion today has its origin in that meal we know as the Last Supper then. It was the last earthly meal Jesus shared with his disciples before he was crucified. Now, here's a point that we often overlook, and I want you to pay attention. It was very special to Jesus, that Last Supper. Luke tells us that Jesus eagerly desired to eat it with his disciples. We always think that it's always on us, 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 doing for him, for him, for him, and we don't realize how much he eagerly desires to be an intimate part of our life. He eagerly desired to eat the Last Supper with his disciples. He eagerly desires to meet with you in communion today. Our prayer this morning, we always pray before the service, our prayer together was, Lord, would you meet us here in a very real and powerful way in communion? It's not just you wanting to do it or dutifully doing it. It's he wants to meet with us when we eat together. It was very special to Jesus. Now, here's the brief account of what happened at that last supper. The Apostle Paul gave these instructions to the church at Corinth for when they would celebrate communion. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. When the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God. He broke it in pieces, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread, of course, represents the body of Jesus. It's broken and it's sacrificed for us on the cross. And by the way, this was so special. That night was so special to Jesus that he asked his followers to continue this practice until the end of the church age. So what they did then, we do now. In the same way, he took the cup of wine saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The juice, we don't use real wine here. Mr. Runkle is always glad to hear that. We use juice. It represents the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross that brought remission or forgiveness for our sins. Every time, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, I need to say that because if people aren't here and they listen to the podcast, they're not sure where these references are. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So on that Thursday night, at the last meal that they would ever eat together, just before he would be cruelly crucified... This practice or this ordinance that we now know, some call it a sacrament, the sacrament of communion was originated. And the church has followed Jesus' command to do this in remembrance of him ever since. And what we are about to do flows directly from that Last Supper 2,000 plus years ago. Communion is to celebrate and acknowledge what Jesus did for us. It's to focus on him. There's no better time to enter into a vertical focus than communion. 
Through his death and resurrection, there's now forgiveness of sin, reconciliation of man to God. It was for us that he died and then resurrected. He died so our sins could be forgiven. forgiven. He resurrected so we'd have eternal life, not just in heaven forever, but here and now. I've come that you might have life and life to the fullest. We owe so much to Jesus. We owe our very lives. We owe our eternal destiny to Jesus Christ. Still in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So now I just want to give some instructions on how we do communion at Columbia Christian Fellowship. Then we will, I promise, celebrate communion together. At CCF, we have what we call an open communion table. Some churches have a closed communion table. You need to be a member, an official member of their church. At CCF, we have an open communion table, meaning anyone here today regular worshiper or visitor who has professed faith, put their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, you are welcome to join with us in communion. We are the household of God. We are the family of God together. There's a gentle warning on the screen, and often it's misunderstood. Many people think that's in there to disqualify folks from taking communion, and it's just the opposite. It's in there to qualify folks to take communion. Let every person examine themselves before we partake. Perfect timing again. (laughs) Yay. Let every person examine themselves before we partake. Because it's advisable not to enter into communion lightly. It's not a warning to disqualify. It's not a warning to condemn. It's a warning to give opportunity for honest evaluation of our lives before we take communion together, before we enter in. We have an opportunity for confession of any sin that we come across as we examine ourselves. We have an opportunity if we find that we have slipped, if we, yeah, if we find that we have slipped, in our relationship with the Lord. Maybe we've let some things slip in. Maybe we've let some things slip out of our life. Communion is a great time with the Lord to work through that, examine yourself, and see if he puts his finger on anything. Don't get too introspective. Don't spend a lot of time browbeating yourself. If you got something and you're willing to take care of it, God will show you. All you have to do is asking. Show me if there's anything that would preclude me from taking communion without confession first. Without getting it, making it right with you, Lord. If you do come across something, don't panic. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're good to go. Seems too simple, doesn't it? Seems too good to be true, but it it is simple and it is true. Again, it's not an examination to disqualify or keep anyone from communion, but to qualify and so that we can freely join in together. 
Confession of our sin to the Lord before we partake puts us in a position to freely partake with a clear conscience. Children, often a question. Children of any age are welcome to participate in our communion service. However, we do ask that parents or guardians make sure as much as possible that the child understands the importance of it and the significance of what we're doing. They'll, they won't fully understand all the theological significance. Who does? God. Other than God. But all they need to know is that this isn't something we're just doing that's a game or, or, a, or a joke. There's some seriousness to this. Okay? Deb, will you come forward with me? My wife and I are going to serve communion to you today. And the instructions are, if you're going to participate in the communion, just when you're ready, you arise, you move to the center aisle, two lines, come up, return to your seats from uh, the side aisle. But hold the elements, we call these the elements, it's the, the bread and the juice. Hold the elements until we've all been served. Then I have one more word of instruction before we partake together. So Ron, if you want to start the music... Congregation, when you're ready to come, just stand, move to the center aisle, and come up.